Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, episode 005, A Conversation with Lane Hamon. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. And we survived Thanksgiving. Indeed. Lane, we're Hello. so excited to have you. Oh, I'm excited to be here. So tell us about you. My name's Lane Hamon. I run the Tobias Literary Agency. We represent romance, fantasy, science fiction, and nonfiction. That's great. You do a lot of really cool stuff. So tell us what when you're what you do when you're not working. It sounds lame, but I read for fun because you know um, I like to travel and hike. I'm very much into photography and astronomy, so I'm always playing with you know telescopes and cameras. And the supersized supermoon, I got some really cool pictures of that. Nice. You're a uh, Renaissance man. That's what you are. I'd like to think so. Absolutely. <laughs> Did you go on your roof? How did you how'd you get the moon? Oh, I went out in the driveway because I was at my mother's and it was gargantuan. Pretty cool. Um, so, Lane, speaking of alternative universes, uh, what would you do in an alternative universe with no publishing? The answer everyone gives is I'd be a veterinarian. So I'll say I'll be a veterinarian, but um, I think I'd be a superhero. Someone who could fly, so I could beat everyone up. Do Do you have a name in mind? Super Lane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's I um my and just uh, on the veterinarian thing, my dog sat my, sat on a porcupine. No, <laughs> no. Which, you know that might make you want to reconsider the whole veterinarian thing. What? How did that even happen? I know that- exactly, right? <laughs> so, Lane, how did you know you wanted to work in publishing? Um, I actually didn't know I wanted to work in publishing until Marissa Cleveland at the Seymour Agency put out a tweet call for readers. And I was like, hey, I could do that. And I applied and got the job. And that was my start. What were you doing before that? I was writing really bad books. (laughs) (laughs) What kind? Um, Like historical fiction it was about the civil war and time travel it was this crazy crap that vanished off into the ether and i'm probably pretty glad it vanished off into the ether just so and everyone doesn't think that you suddenly magically fell into publishing there was a little bit of time in between when you answered that ad and when you started your own agency right oh yeah there was definitely like three four years maybe five i know it's a big time span but memory you know of the past fog so Numbers. it started in 12 okay that's when i started oh that's interesting a lot of our other people are like i had eight internships <laughs> so funny yes so it sounds like you just kind of was like yeah publishing all right i'm gonna do this and then yeah. you just started reading and then you just started like and now you're running an entire agency yeah like you made that sound really easy I know. I feel bad. Everyone says, oh, how'd you get started? I was like, oh, well, I answered a tweet. (laughs) Everyone's like, okay. I'm like, "Ah, there's no big, great story. I mean, I didn't intern for 18 years at 20 different agencies. I mean, I interned at the Seymour Agency from 2012 to 2014, December 2014, and then my mentor, Nicole Resiniti, was like, hey, you should be an agent. And I was like, hey, I'll do that. 
<laughs> you weren't scared at all? I was terrified. Oh, terrified. She had to convince me to do it because I was just like, yeah, I don't want to hold people's careers and their dreams in my hand. Yeah. Terrified. It is terrifying. Did you have like one book that convinced you? Did you have like one book that you love so much? You're like, I am scared, but it's worth it. No, because I didn't sell my first book until maybe March or April, my first year. So there was a good, because I was stupid and didn't, start taking queries until I was like, hey, I'm an agent. So then I had to go through queries for like three or four months to find something. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying yeah. you think it is a long time from becoming an agent to selling something three months later? I, I know people say, oh, it takes a year to make your first sale. But I sold a book in like, yeah, like four months. From like query to, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't and, understand when you say I had to start taking queries. I mean, I, sh- I should have what I felt like I should have done was taken queries and then announced I'm an agent. Because, you know, Nicole had queries coming in. Marissa was an agent at that time. Mary Sue was an agent. They had queries coming in. So I felt like I should have started off with a deal. But I suppose looking back, that's probably very unrealistic. I, 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 I much prefer the idea of you just cruising around the streets like, hey, are you a writer? How about you, writer? <laughs> what I did for the first three or four months. You look like a writer. What's your story? Come on over here. Sit down. It's like, hey, I'm an agent. You want to be a writer? Let's write stuff. <laughs> you think you want to be a vet, but. <laughs> but you want to be a writer. So fun. The pay is excellent. So what's something you've changed your mind about in your time in the industry? Um, this is going to sound really, really mean. But responding to every query, because it is just emotionally draining having to crush people's dreams. And then you get the people who get insanely angry that you crush their dreams. Someone tried to send me something like to convert me to Scientology. And I was like, yeah, this isn't going to work for me. And they went like psychotic. They went crazy. Like, I'm going to F you up and... Zenu is going to come get you. And I was like, oh, okay. I guess I shouldn't respond to every query. So is that, a, do you, so you don't respond because of the pain or do you respond sporadically? I respond sporadically because, you know, some works are really good and you say, hey, this needs help and this is what you should do or send it to this agent. But most I don't because... I'm afraid they'll go crazy. There's that off chance. I think it's one of those things where it's like, it just has to happen a few times for you to be like, oh, that seems very likely. Like, you know how when something's really bad, your brain starts to decide that it's more likely to happen because it's this really big, awful thing. Yeah, it's it's literally only happened like maybe three or four times. But still, it's enough and scary enough that you think, I really shouldn't be responding to random people. Well, and it's also that thing where it's like people kind of assume that we don't really have feelings. We're just like this computer that's like accept, reject, you know. And so uh, I, I don't think a lot of people think about the the emotional toll it takes on us as well. No. And they, there's this kind of stigma that they think agents are looking for reasons to reject your project. I think it's the opposite. I'm looking... For reasons to take on your projects. I want to find the next Twilight 
or the next Harry Potter. You know, I would love to make everyone's dreams come true. That would be awesome. Yeah, that'd be pretty fun, right? Being able to travel the world like, and you're reading that book, and you're reading that book. That would be fantastic. It would be fantastic. Lane, tell us the story of the first time you saw one of your books for sale. Okay, um, it's funny. I really geeked out because the first book I sold that was in stores was Danica Winter's um, Smoke and Ashes from Harlequin Intrigue. And I saw it in stores and I was like, oh, I sold that book. I sold that book. I know someone famous. I know her. I know her. Everyone's like, okay, who cares? <laughs> I know her. Did you like go up and like read your acknowledgement right then? And you're like. I honestly didn't know there was an acknowledgement to me in it until like last month. And it's been out for like over a year. I, I, I just never bothered to look at the acknowledgements because I assumed I wouldn't be there. Really? Yeah. yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Like that's, you talked about being the dream maker and then you were the dream maker and then you're saying you weren't the dream maker. I mean, I guess I was, but I just didn't think to, like, oh, my name will be in the book. I didn't want to assume. And then I just kind of, it slipped my mind for a year, I <laughs> I always go there first, you know. I'm, like, ready to be, like, super moved or, like, super insulted if I'm not in there. I almost, I almost never check. Someone usually points out, hey, you know, they mentioned you in this book. And I was like, oh, yeah, I sold that book. <laughs> like it's probably why you're in him. Like, oh yeah. You're famous too. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Is it do you know a lot of uh male agents who do romance? Is it like super fun because everyone's like, oh, novelty? Or is it like you have to be like, yes, I definitely read this genre, trust me. Yes, I absolutely have to defend myself as a male who does romance. I think I know of maybe two other male agents who do romance yeah so that's so interesting i mean do you do bromance as well you say bromance <laughs> yes well bromance like not sexual it's like platonic friendship i don't think that'd make right. a very good book i think they're fun i love those movies i do too i think it's a movie yeah i think they make good movies because you can do like physical comedy and stuff but i don't think they'd make a very entertaining book I don't oh. want to read about two dudes being friends. <laughs> really? I have, yeah, I have friends. Why, like the wedding it? crasher. Like, there's, I, but you're right. You can't. It's hard to think of a book like like that. I, I just think it's really interesting. Like your like your piece of the romance pie, you know. And coming from a male perspective, I think that must be kind of a fascinating take. I kind of want to get into your male brain and pick around there with romance. I'm not going to lie. I think about it in the terms of movies. Like I usually picture either I'm the hero or it's like Bruce Willis or Liam Neeson, <laughs> especially when it's like, cause I do a lot of romantic suspense. So it's like cops and FBI agents. And I'm like, yes, that dude's Bruce Willis. So I have an image of Bruce Willis gallivanting around with like, you know, doing adventures and <laughs> romance and yeah. That's awesome. What? That's really how I think about it. Were you nervous the first time you were like offering rep and you're like, yes, I can totally sell your romance novel? I wasn't so nervous offering representation, but pitching to editors was the most difficult part about being a male and doing romance. 
an editor actually made fun of me because I was what? pitching, you know, a sexy scene and I got all quiet and embarrassed and was like looking around. Oh, God, that's so cute. You're, you know, whispering about it. I was like, I don't know. Well, that's better than being creepy. Exactly. I don't want to be like, you know, I don't want to be the creepy male romance guy who's like, hey, this is a hot scene. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Check out those corsets. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like, yes, you know, I, I still get like tongue tied trying to say, oh, it's so sexy and steamy. I'm just like, yeah, it's this is romance and it's hot and you want to buy it. I definitely uh, tease editors that I run into who have sent like the sexy books, you know, like that's really fun to run into them at the parties later and be like, hey, you read that? That's funny. <laughs> Yeah, that is funny. We had my book group read something that was a little bit on the sexier side, and we all put it in a paper bag and we drop it off on each other's doorsteps. <laughs> but what if your kids found it? They were little then, but yeah, it was it was a big joke. Like it was like, "Whoa, this is steamy." <laughs> what was on the cover? <laughs> I don't know. It was like some like mansion like manor story. It was really naughty. <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't we didn't really know what we were getting into before we um dove into it. I it, it was kind of it, it was it was um eye opening. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I pitched a book recently and I was like there's stuff in there I didn't even know existed. I know, I didn't even <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't learn that in sex ed. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's educational materials. <laughs> we're is. doing the world a service. So Lane, what do you wish writers knew about things on a on your side of the desk that um what i said before you know when agents aren't looking to reject you to destroy your dreams we're looking for the next great book the next twilight the next um harry potter the next 50 shades of gray we want to find that magic and um i'm not some cold-hearted evil sob who is <laughs> laughing at writers behind their back saying ha, 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 look at this query i got while twisting my handlebar mustache. <laughs> that must be fun to have a mustache just for twisting. I wish, but I, I hear those are expensive to like, you know, you have to get the wax and the hipster them wax. Out. Yeah. 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 And it takes persistence to keep writing. The only difference between a published author and an unpublished author is persistence. I agree with that. And I feel like it's timing. I feel like you can be a really great writer, but your timing yeah. can be off. Yes. Most of the rejections I get for authors are like, oh, yeah, I just bought this book last week. Like, <laughs> oh, cool. You want to buy it again? <laughs> so t tell us about author platform. Is it important to you or is it something that you just think is a nice asset? That's one thing I've learned through the industry, that the platform for nonfiction is super duper duper important because I've taken on really great nonfiction projects that unfortunately went nowhere because editors were like, yeah, there's no platform. Get out of here. We don't want this. <laughs> this is written by some nobody. And I'm like, ah, okay. But it's such a smart nobody. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, this is such a great book. It needs to be out there. I would go into Barnes & Noble and buy 10 copies of this. And they're like, yeah, but this is written by, like, some schmo on the street. And I'm like, ah. So how do you know when you're a somebody? Credentials? You have a lot of credentials? You have a long CV? Yeah, I mean. I... <laughs> you get a lot of email? <laughs> yeah, basically. You have a lot of Twitter followers? Like, what's a lot? 
I don't know. I just, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just think that's it's all so vague. You know, I mean, like, you can be really famous in a small pod of people, but then, or you can be someone, and this is a, you know, I'm, I'm a freelance marketing person some, so, sometimes. I'm a lot of things sometimes. <laughs> But one of the one of the things that I, I talk about with my clients is that like you can have a you can have a hundred thousand Twitter followers, but unless they're people that are really in your niche, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean you can it's complicated. Be a fish in a little pond or a little fish in a big pond. Correct. I'm so glad I'm not a nonfiction writer. That sounds hard. Yeah, yeah. So what are so what's your best advice to nonfiction writers then? Build up your platform. Or have a platform. You know, if you want to write a book on history and you're an English teacher, build up your platform for history. How do you do that? I have no idea because I'm, I have no history platform. I mean, that's someone else's expertise, building up your platform, nonfiction. Go to school? <laughs> Get a degree? Start a YouTube channel? Yeah. <laughs> Huh? I'm trying to picture what Lane's YouTube channel would be. I can see this montage where he's like a veterinarian and then he's like in some <laughs> historical romance and then he's like building a platform and giving a talk. And then he's walking around the streets like, hey, writer, hey, I'm over here. People build up these huge YouTube channels and then they sell them to other people, which to me is crazy. I love that. I think it's genius. I think it's the Wild West. So many cool <laughs> things can happen. Genius. If I could do it, I would. But. <laughs> Tell us something that isn't nearly as scary or hopeless as writers fear it is. I think it's talking to agents. I hear it a lot from writers saying they're so nervous around their agents or they're afraid to talk to agents or they're terrified to like pitch me at a conference. And I always end up telling them we're just people. I'm literally just some dude. You know, like, I put on my pants the same way every morning. Um, rejection. I know rejection feels horrible and it feels like the end of the world, but everyone gets rejected. H.P. Lovecraft got rejected 200 times before he first got published. I mean, J.K. Rowling got rejected. Brandon Sanderson had to write 14 books before he, he got published. Yeah. It's a process. Yeah, I mean, we're all just people, and I don't know. It does amaze me that people think agents are so scary. Yeah, right? Um, um, You guys are scary. I'm sorry. <laughs> Julie, you've met me. I'm like two-thirds your height. You know what? I, I feel I feel like it is a scary situation because, because you've put so much, you know, like just effort and hope into that one sentence, and I feel like that trips people up. I mean, for the introvert, it's not an easy thing. Yeah, that makes sense. On the flip side, like I get nervous taking pitches because I have to sit across from someone for 10 minutes and listen to them pour out their dreams. And what if I look away because I hear a noise and then they're like, hey, listen, mother <laughs> looked away from me. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know what to do. And that's our explicit rating, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for it. I knew he'd be the one, too. <laughs> <laughs> I swear a lot, so... I apologize for my curse word. (laughs) But it's true. You know, I get nervous. I get scared, too. Like giving the lesson that I did for the editing a romance using Blake Snyder's 
beachy. Oh my god, that was the most terrifying experience of my life. I would have rather been in front of like ten thousand people than instead of just staring into. The- Is that an example of how important it is to leave your comfort zone, no matter where you are in your profession? Absolutely, I believe that. I believe that. So, if you were going to open up a single genre lane, what would it be? Something scary, a scary genre. I think picture books would be my scariest genre because I have no idea what a picture book entails. I mean, I know what they are. I pick up picture books. I used to read some to my nephew, but I'm like, I wouldn't know how to sell that. I don't know what, I don't know. (laughs) I just don't know what I don't know about picture books. I'm starting to think we should ask all the agents about the genres they don't know. Should. It'd be interesting to see if I'm the only nincompoopoo doesn't know what he doesn't know. No, no, picture books are rough. I think they're probably one of the more subjective genres because, like, so much of it's in your head when you're just pitching the text. Exactly. Yeah. And then people keep telling me that I can't pitch picture books that have characters die in them, and I keep trying. It's <laughs> horrible. <laughs> but I, I sold one this this year. I was so happy about that. A whole bunch of people were like, you can't do that. And then someone bought it. And I'm like, yes. That's great. That's awesome. <laughs> now, the, the murder, I'm making air quotes, takes place uh, off camera, as it were. So that's a little better. And so it is a food character that gets killed. Die, or is it a murder? Is it like murder or does someone just die? Okay, so it's this giant pizza that's terrorizing Brooklyn and the kids come after it with all these forks and knives and like all kinds of other accoutrements and like off camera, break it into lots of pizzas and eat it. If you put Super Lane in the story, right? Super Lane could have eaten that pizza. Or he could have like airlifted it and like dropped it in the ocean or something. Absolutely. I mean, it was like 20 feet tall. Super Lane would have to have some pretty good lift off. Lane, this was just a pleasure. Thank you so much for um, talking with us today. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun. Everyone should go check out Lane's class. How to edit a best-selling romance using Blake Snyder's React structure. As you can tell, I like long titles. So thank you, Lane. We really appreciate it. And for all of you listeners, if you wanted to, you could subscribe. And you can also click that review button and let the world know what you think of us. We really appreciate it. And you can learn more about us at manuscriptacademy.com.